Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Good day to y'all. Good day. Good day, everyone. It's good to be here at the Epic Narrative, and I uh, titled this one, Meet Me at the Rock. This is a classic, right? This is the this is the first time that they get water from the rock, and, and, and I was going to, you know, I just thought, well, I should say water from the rock, but as we review, and I'm sure you'll pick up, because I'll say it over and over again, there was way more to this, to this, event than just getting water from the rock. There's a lot more here. And I believe most of it had to do with community. Wait, wait, what? Oh, Bob wants to know, how did I spell the word meat? Yeah, because of the last week I talked about sweatheart. <laughs> I spelled it right. M-E-E-T. Yes, I know. I know. Anyways, I just it's not it's not funny this week, Bob. It was funny last week. Oh, it's still funny to you. Hey, you're right. It is a bit funny. All right. Anyways, I think that this whole thing had to do more with community. That's the way the whole paragraph is set up. We're just going to try and look at the first 7 verses of chapter 17, which is some sort of numerical thing, right? Chapter 17 verses 1 through 7. It's all the same letters. All right. So the whole community set out, that's what it said. You set up the whole paragraph, literally, you're setting the whole thing up as a community. This is what it's about. It's about community. It's it's more than just Moses is our leader. We talked about this. You don't trade in one master for another and call yourself free. It's it's more than just uh we gotta follow. We gotta follow the pillar. We gotta follow the pillar. We gotta no. It's 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 more than that. It's more than you know surviving in the desert. Oh, we just need we just need to barely get by so we can thank God that we're not dead, which is what they did with the Egyptian masters and the way most slave mentalities are. Well, let's just be thankful for what we have, and let's ignore the fact that we're barely getting by. And then you know, let's just let's just thank the good master for not killing us. It's a it's a crazy psyop that that slavery will do for you. So, I know God is trying to break. You can say break off the chains again if you want. It's a great song. I like to look at these things more like roots of uh you know of bitter weeds, bitter bitter nasty roots that just. They get all entangled in the good stuff, and pull them out. You have it takes time, and it and it disrupts the soil, and and it makes things uncomfortable, and it rattles things, and it makes you think at times that even the good stuff is going to disappear, and and you won't survive. But as God untangles those roots, as only He can, He does it gently. He does it through invitation, and. And your perspective on it, your perception of what he's doing greatly impacts your ability and willingness to allow it to happen because he's not going to force it to happen, but he will constantly send you invitations to change that. He'll constantly send you invitations. I, I think of so many times, you know, when I've, uh, uh, in my own journey of times where I know the Lord sent me an invitation and I look back and think, 
you've been you've been trying to say this for a while. You've been trying to invite me into an adventure for a while. Not that it was wrong what what I chose, but you knew how entangled I was getting and you didn't, you know, you you wanted to be the good shepherd. You wanted to be the good uh farmer. You wanted to help untangle me from the mess I was in, from the chains I was under. So I believe that this is always going on in in God's plan, whether it's for you or for your family or for a nation like the Israelites. This is about community because that's what the kingdom of God is about. Discipling is discipline for God. It's the same word to disciple and discipline. He wants relationship. He wants connection. The people, he, you know, he wants to bring them from this survivalist, slave, victim mentality, full of selfishness, uh, to, to the idea of, of sons and daughters and princes and princesses and, and, and move from, from survival mode into generosity mode. It's, it's, a, it's a long gap or a long journey, but it doesn't have to be. Because based on your interactions with it, it could happen quickly. Now, the journey may be, you know, if it happens quickly, sometimes your your struggle, if you want to call it that, your journey might be more about maintaining it than it is about getting there. Some some people seem to get this stuff instantly, but then they, they their journey is how to stay there. But then other people, it takes a long time to walk out from slavery, but when they finally do... There is no going back, and they are they are spot on. Not you know not going to move. It's it's awesome. Both journeys are awesome. Both journeys are 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 a place of interaction and relationship relational development with the Lord, and it's it's awesome. God wants this nation to bring all the nations on the planet to a place of love and hope and relationship with Him. God wants this nation to spread out. And multiply, both in, in people group and in principle of heaven, to cover the earth with his kingdom. That's what he wants. That's, that's what he's always talked about, all the way back to the first time he's connected with, with Abraham. He wants that kind of, of family on the, on the earth. That's what, that's what it was created to be back in the garden. All the way back to the beginning of you know season two, it's it's what the ideal was. It's what came out from the beginning. It is what heaven is, and he wants that for the nations. Again, to me, it emphasizes the the ridiculousness that somehow this was a military plan from the beginning. That somehow God wanted to you know murder and and wipe out entire nations of of people in the name of righteousness and holiness because I'm God and I can judge people and I'll kill them all and send them to hell <laughs> cuz I am greater love than all the world has ever seen come on just pay attention to what you're saying oh my gosh sorry Calm down, yes, Bob. I will. Okay. So this is what is what I believe he's trying to incorporate into this nation. He he had it going in the nation, and then they went down to Egypt, and then they stayed in Egypt. They stayed past the famine, 
and then they stayed past Joseph's death, and and then the Pharaoh started to come up that just started to dissipate and do away with all, all the freedoms and favor and privileges of that Israelite nation, and eventually they just became abjective slaves in that nation. Now, you know this. You know that the enemy is going to try to destroy this plan. He wants, it, he wants to keep it from happening. There is, there, is a, there is a battle going on here. And currently, he has probably the most access points that he's ever going to have because of the slave mentality of the nation. So he's going to try distraction. He's going to try disappointment. He's going to try despair. And these are these are some of his favorite tools. Frustration. Oh, here's a good one. Unmet expectation. And of course, death. These are all things that he wants to bring to the Israelites in as much capacity as they can handle to try and keep them from understanding what God is trying to accomplish, the, the path that they're trying to get to. And if they do understand the path that God's trying to move them on in, he wants it to seem like such a long journey to finally get there that there's really no, no need in even starting the journey because it's going to be exhausting and it may take forever and we may never actually get there. Trust me, he is so good at what he does. He's so good at what he does. Now, I don't deny, I don't deny the spirit realm. You, you know that. I, I don't deny that there is an evil uh, spirit realm that is constantly embattled with the, with the, with the angels of light in the, in the heavenly spirit realm. I also believe that the heavenly spirit realm is vastly superior in power and in technique than the, than the evil one. But I do believe that the evil one has incredible abilities to convince us that that's not true. And you reap what you sow and what you believe you find evidence for. So when you believe that the enemy is so powerful that it's really a, an incredible struggle between light and darkness, then you will find evidence for that and you will feed the enemy the strength that they need to maintain their their power and their authority in your life. It's, it's a fascinating uh, aspect that happens. And it's why when you have a dualistic mindset about God, it continues to empower the enemy. And we talked about dualism a couple episodes ago. When you think that God is both good and evil, you empower the evil because he knows that that's not true. So you're already believing a lie, which brings strength to the, to the enemy. You're sowing seeds of, of lies and you're going to reap multiple fruit from that lie. You're going to find God to be dualistic everywhere you look. And I believe that that's what, that's what happened to this nation and what happened to many, many other people along the way. And it's why Jesus came. He came to destroy the idea of a dualistic God. Now, Moses knows what's needed for people to change. He does. He understands this. Remember, academically, he's off the charts. He, he, he knows. Philosophically, he's had these discussions with philosophers from, from the Asian world and the, and the Greek philosophers. He's, he's, you know, philosophers and mathematicians and, and theorists from all kinds of religions and all throughout Africa. Like, he understands that there is a lot of work to do. But he has to decide, do I let the people journey 
How much do I push them? How many answers do I just give them so that they can move on to the next question? These are tough, tough things, tough calls for any or most leaders. If you're really leading people, not just telling them what to do, if if you're leading people, not just giving them assignments, then then you you struggle with this. I don't know. A struggle is probably too sometimes too strong a word, but you at least consider this. You think to yourself, okay, um, you know what 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 do I say to this person? I, I, I've done this. People have sat across a desk from me when, uh, or or on the other end of the phone from me, or on the other end of a text, massive texting that you know, that's going back and forth. I have to ask myself, what do I, what do I say? Like, how do I ask the, you know, the next, the follow-up question to what they're saying? Because I could give them the answer, but I would only do that if I thought it meant that we could get further down the road. Like, like, are they just barely getting tripped up on a little something? If I give them a little insight, will they put everything together or will they get lazy and just keep coming to me for more and more answers? And I'll be honest, like usually after I've met with somebody, if if we've met four or five times and I'm not I'm not seeing progress, like they're just they just basically want me to do the work for them, then I will refer them. Like I'll just say you probably need to find like a professional counselor. And I don't mean this in a dispersing way, but most professional counselors are not looking to end the the relationship right there they're more than willing to let you come in express yourself they'll give you a listening ear a safe place to have that conversation and you in essence you know will spend the next two three five ten years counseling yourself with a moderator there which is not a bad thing but it's not something i'm designed for I want to lead people. I want to guide them uh, along their way. And that's what I tell them. Listen, you go to the professional and we can keep meeting, but I'll become more of a cheerleader. Let me be your pastor. Let me be your guide, uh, you know, help help guide you along the way. I don't, uh, you know, I, I just, I don't want to do the work for you. But if I can give you a little bit of an answer, a little bit of an insight or perspective change that it will allow you to make progress, absolutely, I'll do that. So as Moses is working with these people, because it says, <laughs> Bob's like, you mean we're going to get to the next phrase? Yeah, we are. In verse 1 of chapter 17, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. So they're traveling from place to place. We went over uh, probably way more than we should have in the last episode, what it means to travel from place to place, all the things that have to occur when everybody gets up, everybody packs up, everybody gets it all together, everybody starts to follow the cloud. Like, I don't know, does the cloud just kind of keep moving really slowly or does it like like uh, move out of the camp and just wait like on, the, on a ridge somewhere on top of a, a sand dune and be like, okay, when you guys are all ready... Like head this direction and then I'll keep moving. I, I that's what I think would probably work best. And if it kind of kept moving slowly, because eventually somebody would be like, "We're way too be, we're way too, we're way too behind. We're not gonna catch them. We're never gonna catch the cloud. We're never gonna catch the cloud. Get on the donkey." So I have a feeling it just kind of, they'd wake up in the morning, and the and the and the cloud would be, you know, half a mile away, and they'd be like, "Oh, pack it up." 
We're on our on the road. And what is this doing? Is this is this teaching them to be puppets? Is this like pulling their strings and and seeing, well, are they going to be obedient today? Are they going to make me happy today? Or am I going to have to kill somebody? Am I going to have to stop the bread? Am I going to have to not allow the quail to come through tonight because they need to learn their lessons? That's the way a lot of people pre- preach this, and that's the way a lot of people see God, right? He's just, he's toying with them. He's dragging them through the desert like a, like a, you know, a dog that doesn't want to go any further and tries to pull back on the leash. And God's like, no, 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 follow me or you won't get your treat. You won't get your treat. No, come on, come on, follow me. And if you don't, I'll beat you. <sighs> I don't think so. I think he's trying to create that, that, that pattern of community, the idea of family, the idea of working together and being together and meeting together. The idea of doing uh, life together. These guys are literally spending all this time with family, whereas before they had to constantly go to work and constantly try to survive. And that's what family was about. They're learning that family is about everyday life. Kind of like, uh, you know, moving into an RV with your family or your spouse. So many people that move into this, uh, this type of lifestyle that we're currently living, they don't make it very long. Sometimes they they write about it on on like RV uh, pages on Facebook or whatever, and they're actually you know they're they're kind of humorous in the way that they put it. Like uh, you know we we love each other, but we can't stand living in only three hundred square feet together. And so we're gonna you know we're gonna buy a house so we can each have our own space. We just need our own space. And and I'm not saying that that's wrong or anything. I'm just saying like the the this this community of Israelites are experiencing life together. Every day, all day, and yeah, they had to find supplies like wood and and hay, and and they had to take care of their their flocks. Like there were chores to do in order to survive in the desert, but they did so as a family and as a community. And this is what God is teaching them. He's teaching them, and He is a God of community. He's a God of connection. He's a God that provides everything you need every day. He's a God who provides food every day. He's a God who provides guidance, the cloud and the pillar, as well as, you know, shade from the cloud every day and warmth from the fire every night. They're learning to rest and trust in the Lord every day and not fear leaders, not fear the men who are who are over them. They're, they're every day they're having that opportunity to realize that that God is a God of love and of family. They don't have to hoard things. They don't have to be defensive. They don't have to be protective of, of life. They can be free. It's a fascinating journey that they're on, not just, not just walking through the desert trying to survive as a nation. They're on a journey as individuals and as a nation. And it says that they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled, quar, quar, quarried, they they argued, <laughs> quarreled. I can't, can I, am I saying that word? I don't even know. With Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? So this is the first complaint. Uh... 
really when they, you know, when they come, they get to a stopping, they stop, they start, they stop, they start. And every time they stopped, right, they, they, they begin to just kind of assume there would be water around. And they stopped here at this place and there wasn't. Now they go after Moses. Because why? He's the leader. He's the one in charge. And when you're, when you're breaking out of a slave mentality, it's very difficult to sit back and say, what's my responsibility? Because you think, hey, I'm just, I'm just doing what I'm told here. Every, the, somebody else needs to take care of everything else. Unfortunately, you know, I, a lot, we've talked about this before. A lot of governments operate this way. They want you to get to a place where you just depend on them for everything, <clears throat> but then it means everything you need, you have to go to them and complain. And whether or not they're good or bad at providing that is, is another whole issue. But, but this is the mentality that God's trying to get his people out of, trying to get his, fam- his family free of. So they go to Moses. They're like, fix it. Now, they, again, they're not going to go to God because they already think God could kill them. Why? Because Moses and Aaron started setting that up in the last chapter when, they, when the man and, manna and the quail, quail, quail were, whoa, when the manna and the quail were provided for by God, Aaron and Moses presented it as an opportunity to please God every day by not collecting too much. And if you don't collect too much, then he'll be happy. But if you do collect too much, then you just better be careful because we know what he did to the Egyptians. They set this up. Leadership set them up to make the journey more difficult. So when, when you know your expectation isn't being met or the plans don't unfold like you want them to, or, you know... Uh, who are you going to blame? Who do you go to to fix it? I'm asking you that question, listener. Like, what's what's your mentality? And if you do go to God, what's your mentality? Do you go to him as a, as a slave? Or do you go to him with curiosity? Like a, like a son of a king who's like, hey, dad. What are we going to do about this? What what how can I help you? What's what's going on? What do you want me to do? Understanding your authority, understanding your position, understanding your power. So a lot of times uh you know, people people in everyday life when when expectations aren't met, when plans don't go as as you want them to, when you show up for at a campsite and there's no water, like where do you go? When things don't meet your expectation, when your pastor doesn't meet your expectations. Yeah, I mean, as wonderful as I am at pastoring, <laughs> clearly that can be shown because I, you know, I'm a, I can't find a job as a pastor, so clearly I'm very good at it. <laughs> at least at the time of this recording. You know, do you go to your pastor and say, hey, uh, there's not enough community in our church you need to fix it. There's not, there's not enough people get, you know, I, I, people aren't nice to me. You need to, <laughs> this, is, this is one I, I didn't get this one very often because I, I was never the regular preacher, but 
I do know that people would say things like this. You know, you need to you need to preach a message on giving because you know, our our finances aren't do, going as as well as I think they should be. I'm giving all I can, but I know other people aren't and you need to preach a message. You know, do you go to your pastor? Do you when things aren't aren't meeting your expectations in your marriage? When your boss or whatever isn't working hard enough to fix your problem. Do you do you basically go to them and say, listen, uh, fix it or I'm out. Fix it or I'm quitting. Fix it or I'm getting a divorce. Change the way things are going or I'm going to switch churches. Like what's, what's your approach? I, you know, if they don't, if they don't do this, I'll never talk to them again. I'm just going to break relationship with them because that'll that'll show them. That'll fix it. Now, I don't think Moses, when he asked them this question, uh, why do you quarrel with me? <laughs> why do you put the Lord to the test? I don't think he's being like a... Can you say prick? I I don't think he's being a, I don't think he's being sarcastic and rude on this. I think he's asking them a very good question. He's saying, you know, are you going to enter into this new pattern? Why are you coming to me with an issue that you know God has made very clear to you he can take care of? Listen, you know God cares about you. Did you pick up bread this morning? Yes. Did you cook quail last night? Yes. He shows up every day for you, twice a day, in very obvious ways. 24 hours a day, his presence can be seen, physically seen on this planet. Not something most people who worship gods can do. They have to go travel and find an idol or carve something out of a rock. No, this, this, God shows up in the cloud every day, in this pillar that we follow every day. Why are you coming to me with something that you know you can trust him with? Why are you arguing with me like somehow I didn't do something right? Because you're argue- if you're arguing with me like I didn't do something right, then you assume that we are slaves and he's the master. And we're trying, we're all trying to get out of this. Even Moses is trying to get out of that mentality. Like I said, he didn't he didn't help things last in the last chapter, but he's I think he's he's trying, he's trying to get there. He's working on it. God is a God who cares, not a master that you have to be afraid of. And this pattern is so hard for us even today because we we have fear, fear of men. We have lies about religion. We believe things that that if if you know, because of our quote experience, if I make if I make my parents happy, I don't get I don't get disciplined. Although that was more my culture, I think. I mean, I do think that there are there are a lot of of kids that have grown up where they don't have to make their parents happy. They're they're, they're not disciplined regardless, right? I've seen a few a few of them. Oh, my travels, they are uh, precious children of the Lord. Amen. Glory bless their heart. Well, bless their heart. So, uh, yeah, we're uh, we're all in this journey together because we all have these things to work through, and it's not easy. 
And we have to ask ourselves these questions just like this. Why, why are we quarreling with our leaders? Why aren't we going to God? Now, I'm not saying you can't talk to your leaders, and I'm not saying you should leave your leaders alone. And if you are a leader, I definitely don't think that you should just ignore your people and be like, shut up and go talk to God. I don't think that's what, I don't think that's what Moses is doing here. I really think he's asking a fair question. So they go back and think about this, right? They show up at a, at a campsite. We'll get to verse 3 in a second. They show up at a campsite. There's no water. They're setting up camp. People are kind of looking for water. They're wandering around. They, they send their, you know, son, go find some water. Go see if you can get some water. Go see if anybody's found water. They start, and, and eventually somebody's like, hey, Moses. I don't know how available Moses was. I don't know how close people could get to him. But eventually, you know, within, I think, within a few hours, people are like, Moses, there's no water. Like, why, why did the cloud stop here? Why are we here? There's no water, Moses. And Moses is like, hey, guys, let's take a minute. Like, why are you coming to me about this? You, you honestly think I'm the one who controls God? Do you think I'm the one who just comes up with water out of nowhere? Am I the one that, <laughs> that brings bread every morning? And I, am I the one that brings quail every afternoon? Listen, this is a community issue. This is a, this is a family conversation, and we need to talk to God about this. He's the only one that can come through for us. So I think they all leave. And they go back to their families and they continue setting things up and, and they're, they're starting to grumble. And in verse 3, the people were, were thirsty for water. And they grumbled again against Moses. And they said, why? Here we go. Here we go. Right? Oh, they had such a great opportunity. Here we go. Verse 3. <laughs> why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die? Of thirst. <laughs> because extremism in a conversation kills the conversation, right? This is not a relational conversation. They come back to Moses and they basically don't want to talk to him. They just want him to fix it. They don't want to get to know God. They just want Moses to tell God what they, they, they just kill the conversation. And we... We probably all have experienced it. Maybe even some of you have done this, where in frustration, you don't go to somebody to have a conversation, to gain understanding or to build trust with them. You go to that person and you demand an answer, not, you know, a Q&A, not, again, not an opportunity. You don't, you don't look at it as an opportunity to gain and to be blessed and to understand. You look at it like, I I'm thirsty. Get me water. I have needs. Fulfill them or I'm leaving. I have expectations. And they're not being met. Do something about it. That's not, that's not a conversation. That doesn't help the relationship. And Moses, I think, understands that, right? They escalated their fears. They, they had talked to each other all afternoon. Their personal issues became overwhelming. Uh, this needs to be fixed right now. The energy, the energy of the camp 
was negative. I don't know. Again, I always think of sports stadiums. And again, they're only 100,000. So multiply that times 10. But when, when there's an incredibly bad call on the field and the whole place starts booing, like the negative energy is like you can almost taste it. It's crazy. This needs to be fixed now. There's no time to wait on God. We need Moses to do something. Listen, the children are going to die. The, the, the animals are going to die. I'm going to die. Everything's at stake. Victims always escalate to death. They don't feel valued by leaders. They see no value in who they are. Their identity, their purpose has been lost they speak from places of rejection, places of fear, places of pity. They don't know how to interact with circumstances without, I'm going to die. If this doesn't get fixed, my life is over. If I don't, you know, if I don't get this, you know, if, whatever. If I, if I have to quit this job, like I will die next week because I'll have no money. Like this, it's just always at the edge of death. Because it's the only way that they feel valued. It's the only thing they have in life still that they think has any value is the fact that they can breathe. And they, they throw it out all the time. I'm going to die. If this doesn't happen, I'm going to die. You know, if this doesn't happen, I'm going to die. It's a, it's a horrible way to live. And God knows this. This is not life-giving opportunity of, of conversation here. This is death talk all the time. So the plan to talk to you isn't working. That's what God, that, that's basically what the next verse says. Moses goes to God and he says, what am I going to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. God's like, listen, I, I, Moses is like, listen, God, I get it. They should be talking to you. They're not. And I'm pretty sure they're going to kill me. Because they're because like I see Moses as as hopeful in the in the early in the morning time, like thinking, well, they're gonna go back to their tents and hopefully they'll talk to God. Like they can literally just go yell at the cloud if they want to. It's it's like that simple. And by late afternoon, they're coming to Moses and they're like, forget it, we're all gonna die. There's a lot of murmuring and grumbling and complaining and and, uh, you know, you're, you're killing our children, you're killing our dog, you're killing our cat, our, our sheep, our goats. And Moses, Moses goes to God, he's like, listen, I, I, I get it. I know what we're trying to do here, but I think they're going to kill me. Victims will use violence to change their circumstances, including their leadership. <laughs> and unfortunately, in today's society, I actually think a lot of uh, protesters come out that way, right? They come out from a victim mentality, and they think if we use violence and change our leadership, our lives will be better. It, it, it never works that way. Because you reap what you sow. And if you sow violence, you're going to reap violence. And, and if you, anyways, it, it's just a, a bad, vicious circle. So God answers. And I know, I know, we're like, Bob is like, wait, we're 35 minutes into this into this episode, and we still haven't gotten to the rock. And I told you this at the beginning. I called it meet at the rock because I really think it had to do with the meeting. It has to do with community. This whole this whole scenario of getting water from the rock is really about a culture that needs to shift. It's not about water. God knows this. 
Water is just circumstantial, uh, um, legitimate, not, not, what do I want to say? Not legitimacy. It's the L word. Uh, logistics. Thank you. <laughs> Bob's like, I don't even know where you're going with this. It's circumstantial logistics. He, water is not an issue. God's like, listen, I can give you bread. I can give you quail. I can give you water. I can give you shade. I can give you heat. I can give you direction. I can give you conversation. Like, just follow the pattern. People come to me when you think you need something. I can come through for you. And they're like, Moses, we've thought about it all day. And if you don't do something, we might have to. And it's not talk to God. It's change you. And a lot of times we do the same thing, only we might leave our job or leave our church or leave our wife or our, or our husband. And really what we needed to do was change who we are. We, needed, we need to understand that we are valued, that we have purpose, that we have authority, that we have a place and, and, and uh, destiny in life. So God answers, this is great. The Lord answers Moses, listen, go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And I will stand before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Manasseh and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled. And because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? You see, if we get to the end of this paragraph, we see really what their questions were about. They weren't seeing the daily interactions with God as anything but something they expected, something they deserved, reparations for the beatings they took. They looked at it like God better come up through for us. This is all we get. Like they... they they were living in a slave mentality still. They didn't see blessings. They, they didn't live in gratefulness. They didn't, they didn't stay in a place of curiosity. Uh, there's there's a, a whole leadership dynamic called staying above the line. It's, a, it's that mental capacity to stay curious all the time, to stay in hope all the time, to stay with a heavenly perspective. Listen, heaven was not worried whether or not God could come through for them. So when, when God says, walk before the people, he's saying, listen, don't fear man. Don't fear the threat of death. Show them hope. Show them purpose. Show them love. Show them empathy. Not anger. Not more rejection. Step out and say to them, follow me. This is not Moses walking out with a staff looking like some ninja warrior. He's like, bring some leadership with you. Bring some elders. You see, elders were, were designed, and, and actually I, I believe still are supposed to be in the church. Elders are supposed to be leading people, shepherding people, not playing on their, on their emotions, not playing politics for authority. Elders are supposed to guide the people. He's like, bring the elders with you. Show the tribes that, that they are a part of, of this whole community. They are not separated from you. They're part of the whole deal. Go for a walk. Now, this is miles away. This is going to take time. Why would you want to go miles away? Why can't he just strike the sand dune and make water come out? He could have because God wants to journey with you. 
He wants to go for a walk. This gave opportunity for Moses and the elders to have conversation, to talk about what God's doing, to change their perspective on the daily activities that were going on so that they could go back and teach the people. Get to know each other more. Get to know Moses more. Get to know God more. To work on communication to change the vocabulary of everyday life from that of a victim to that of a prince of God, to that of family of God, to that of a nation of heaven. God says, I'll meet you at the rock, on the mountain made of rocks. Now, Horab, the mountain of Horab may be Sinai. It might be the other side of Sinai. It might be the peak, one of the peaks of Sinai. I have no idea, but probably somewhere around Sinai where the bush, the burning bush was. So Moses is familiar with God showing up in this area, we'll call it. I do know that there are people who believe they, they have found where the burning bush is and they have found where God hit the mountain of Sinai and they have found the, the outline of the Ten Commandments that you know, were carved on the rock. Fine, God bless them. Pay your money, go see it. I'm not that concerned. I don't think it impacts the story that much. So much of what we believe, we believe by faith anyway. So I'm fine with counterbalances on this. Don't be thrown off by people like that. They go for a walk. They meet at a rock. And when he gets there, they all meet with God. They all are there. The whole assembly is there. They they, they're walking out of the desert. They didn't take their tents. They didn't take their flocks. They, didn't, they just, the whole, all the families in probably a long line, probably hundreds of yards wide, a mile long. They're just kind of walking. Moses is following. They're all following. They all know God's waiting for them at the rock. They can see them miles away. I don't think Moses is mad. I don't think he's swinging his staff at people, telling them, telling them to shut up, telling them this is a waste of time, telling them. I think he's saying, let's go, let's go meet with God. Let's go meet with God. Let's see what happens. This is beautiful. And they go to the rock, and he strikes the rock. And he did this in the sight of everyone. And the water came out. Now, I know from drawing, from coloring pictures in Sunday school, you know, this was like he, it's Moses, and the little picture in Sunday school was Moses with his rod standing over a rock. He hits the rock and like the rock splits and you have like a little, this little like water fountain. And I used to think that was so cool, right? <laughs> and then I realized how many hundreds and thousands of people that needed water. Do you have any idea we're taking them 23 years for everybody to get a drink at a water fountain? No, this, this rock split. It split, I think, from the bottom up. I do. I know some believe that they've, they know where, the, where this rock is. God bless them. Go pay your money. Go see it. I, I would. I would love to say. I don't care if it is or not. It'd just be fun to go see it. So the water splits. I think. I think you know uh, there had to be some drama to this. You know, so the, the shaking, the earth rattling, the rocks uh, and pebbles starting to roll. People wondering what's going on. An earthquake is occurring. They start to back up. The water shoots up like an oil gusher. Just, just a massive fire hydrant in the middle of the desert. 
and then it crashes to the ground in like a like a like a, a river like not just a little bit trickling like a river in the in the in the ocean that's awesome bob a river in the desert just instantaneous river so much water that even though that you know in concept it's being absorbed into the dry sand it's it it won't stop like there's so much water and i think it splits the people just because i i'm that's the way i picture it and they're on both sides of the water and they're they're excited they're laughing they're splashing kids are running they're because anytime you have a child, I don't care what who what, what country they're from, if they're by water, they get in it. I, I just you can't even. I I remember I have four children, and anytime I saw water, I thought, oh no, like I'm not I'm I'm gonna say it, but I'm not gonna expect it. Hey kids, don't go don't go near the water. And yet, somebody's shoe got wet, somebody got splashed, somebody's shirt needs to be changed. <laughs> like so, you know, kids are jumping in the water, and the animals are excited. The ones who did come along, and people are filling their buckets, and this river ran. All the way, I think, back to camp. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful. And it was clean. And he named it something to remind the people that, listen, you're, you questioned the Lord, whether or not he's among us. And it wasn't a, a place of guilt. It was a place of remembrance. Listen, we, we questioned what God if God was with us, and look what showed up. Clear evidence that he was. Clear evidence that he loves us. Clear evidence. That's that's what the that's what the name was for. It wasn't to bring guilt on the people, it was to remind them the answer to the question, is God among us? Absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt, let's drink it in. And tradition, just so you know, tradition says that this river ran for the next 40 years until they entered the promised land. The water never stopped. Now that that does sound like God, right? He's like, listen, I'm going to put streams in the desert for you that will never stop until you hit your promised land. I will find ways to refresh you at every corner. Whenever you need to be reminded, as whenever you want to test me, is the Lord among us, I'm going to come through. And I can testify to that. I can testify to that. We're out here at an RV because we really believe God invited us out into a, into a desert journey. And every time, and we've had days where we have really been like, what in the world is going on? And yet God always comes through. Somebody calls, somebody, we meet up with somebody who we haven't seen in 30 years. Somebody, somebody sends us a note and somehow we get encouraged. We get encouraged that we haven't missed anything, that we're still on the right path, that we, you know, God is still preparing us a place to, to arrive at that promised land. It's pretty awesome the way he does this. And that's exactly what he did for the entire nation. And I have no doubt that there were many other local people that were blessed by this fountain, by this river. Can you imagine a local tribe? Can you imagine the merchants that, that, were, that were kind of wandering through, following this nation, making you know deals, selling things to them? Etc. Remember, they all had money. They all had clothes. They could all make trades. And then all of a sudden, there's a river in the middle of the desert where there was never one before. It had to be spectacular. What a testimony. What a God. What an amazing opportunity God gives us when he says, hey, 
Meet me at the rock. And let me show you the answer to your question. Is the Lord among us? His answer is emphatically, absolutely, abundantly, more than you can imagine. And let's have fun. I'll see you next week, everyone, on The Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Well, here we go. We are, uh, I don't know. Today's episode, um, uh, I just find the victim mentality woven into so many pieces of the fabric of our lives. I used to be a cotton commercial, I think. Uh, but it is, It's in, and it gets fed. I, I think that uh, people in power use the victim mentality to um, continue control over people because victims can be, you know, fear works really well on victims. It works really well on slaves. It works really well on, on victims. And so the fear of anything uh, will keep people um, trying to find a solution and and uh, submissive to whoever says, if you do th- if you do this, I'll take care of it. If you follow me, if you obey me, if you conform to my request, or my if you obey the executive order, or if you follow uh, the directions of the leadership, if you if you listen to the word of the man of God, then then we will alleviate your fear and solve your problems. And I I know we stretched it out, but that's really what was going on between Moses and the people. The people were like, we have this fear. We're all going to die, and God isn't even here. And again, God was clearly there. He was there on a regular basis. And if you if you believed he was there, you would have seen evidence of his presence every moment of every day. But if you don't believe he's there, if you believe that somehow you've got to make it on your own, then you will you will freak out any time that there's a bump in the road because you're not you're going to think God's not here, God's not here, and that's what the people were dealing with. And ultimately, right, God showed up. Not ultimately, as in man, they finally did all the right things and they begged him enough and they they uh, you know put them but, but were humble enough and they whatever and eventually convinced them to show up. He, he was there the whole time. I do wonder sometimes about poor Moses. Oh, I keep thinking, wow, uh, what, a, what a job. Both amazingly beautiful, uh, amazing to have the honor and privilege to lead people like that into freedom. Uh, not just freedom from Egypt, but to get, as I've said, Egypt out of them. Get that slave fear manipulative concepts out of their out of their life paradigms but <clears throat> that's probably because I am intuitively a pastor and I love to walk with people so that idea of walking with people is really energizing to me uh I would imagine that there were other aspects of Moses that uh you know as a visionary he probably was really frustrated because the people were not picking up <laughs> what was being laid down and they kept getting distracted by stuff that didn't really matter in the in the grand scheme of what God was trying to accomplish. But anyway, 
we all are gifted differently. We all uh, have the opportunity to work together. That's why I believe God was like, come together. This is about community. I want you to see that I am for everyone. I don't just, you know, speak to the leader. I want everyone to know that I am present all the time. All the time. God is good. God is good all through time. All right. I uh, hope you guys are having a great time. Um, it should be the holiday season when this is coming out. Uh, so I hope your holidays were fabulous. Again, if you can help us out, uh, just keeping this uh, this program on the air, keeping it rolling, we could, we'd appreciate your gifts. Uh, links are in the description and on the website and on your podcast site. You should be able to just click that and go and uh, give whatever you can. Give whatever you can, and um, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, I love what I do. I love doing this podcast. I do believe it is it is uh, out there. I think it's a forerunner uh, situation to speak about the goodness of God at this level. Um, most people aren't up for the – they love having a good God, but most people don't want to follow it to its conclusion. But here, as you know, we, we push the conclusions and say – if you want it, it's there. If you want a God to be that good, you can have him. You don't have to be academically, uh, you know, fraudulent. You don't have to make something up. But he's, he's there. His goodness is seen all the time. I was reminded just today, again, that Jesus spoke about the goodness of God while only working out of the first five books of the Bible. It's, it's amazing to me. So, yeah, we're going to continue. Season four will probably wrap up the, the Pentateuch. I'm probably going to, I am planning on combining um, the, the last three books together. Uh, and I don't plan on going through every single law and every single nuance of every single law. There's plenty of books that do that. We're going to find the story and we're going to talk our way through it. Enough about me. And the next season, I hope you're enjoying this season of the Epic Narrative. Let's talk again soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.